This is Jalen, and you're listening to the Firm Foundation Church Podcast, where you'll get weekly episodes featuring your favorite sermons straight from our in-person Sunday morning services. Check it out. So we're going to close out the series, Revealed. Man, I hope this has been encouraging for each and every one of you. Uh, You know, but there's so many different stories that surround this time of Easter and uh, the crucifixion and and death of Jesus and his resurrection. And there's so many different things that I think that we can learn from this. And uh, Jesus really, what his desire was is he came to earth. He wanted to reveal himself as the savior of the world. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus came. And so some people defined him coming and saving them is one way, but Jesus had a totally different way of doing things. And that's why a lot of people struggled back in that Jewish culture to recognize him as Jesus. But when you look at the gospels, when you look at the story of Jesus, it really can be summed up in these four words that we've said almost every week, which is Jesus. Hey, we got like two. I heard it. All right, let's try that all together. It's only been five weeks. I mean, come on. I'm giving you a hard time. I'm giving you a hard time. All right, let's say it together. Jesus in my place. The whole gospels, the whole story of Jesus can be summed up in just that small little phrase. And we're going to come back to that at the very end of the message today. Uh, but Jesus in my place. And so we're going to look at these stories of Jesus and we're going to see what we can learn from them. But just like we've done every single week, we're going to ask the question, where am I in the story? Uh, you know, what is it that we can learn through this story? What can it teach us as the body of Christ and as Jesus is wanting to reveal his purpose to us? And so the resurrection, it's kind of a big deal. It is the most important day in the history of mankind. Do you believe that to be true? It is the most important day in the history of mankind. This day is so significant in us celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus died for our sins and because he rose from the grave, everything changes. Everything changes. You know, if he wasn't risen from the grave, then what? He would have just been another man that lived a good life and did good things, but he died just like others have and we will. And so what was really the purpose and meaning? It was really just a good martyr story in some ways, right? But it didn't end there. He rose from the grave. He didn't just stay dead, but he came back to life. And so that means there is so much more in store for you and me that Jesus wants to reveal to us. And so whether the resurrection happened and what it meant if it did are probably some of the most important questions that you could ever ponder in your lifetime. If it was true, and if it is, what does that mean for me? And so here's what we're going to talk about this morning, is that Jesus is alive in me. That's the title of today's message, is alive in me. You see, when you recognize Jesus as the risen Savior, and as you surrender your life to him, there's a promise that's given to us, that he comes to live in us. And so that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you come and speak to each and every one of us right now in this room. Lord, we're surrendered to you. And Lord, our desire is that you would come alive in us. 
There's individuals this morning under the sound of my voice that have not surrendered their life to you. I'm praying today's the day, Lord. Lord, if there's those of us that made that decision a long time ago, but our walk with you has just been stale. There hasn't been much to it. God, I'm praying today that your Holy Spirit would come alive in them. You would come alive in us. Lord, we are surrendered to you. And we ask that you come and speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. So we're going to lead a, we're going to read a little bit of this story here in Matthew chapter 28. Um, but before we get into the scripture, I want you to understand that the gospels were written by four different disciples of Jesus Christ. These were four different followers that got to see Jesus' story and they retold the stories of his life to us. And, and so we've been in the book of Matthew throughout this series. And so I need you to understand that Matthew had an eyewitness account of everything that happened in the life of Jesus. He didn't just hear about the story, but he saw it firsthand, right? Does that make sense? And so this is him speaking to us from this firsthand account of what he experienced. And and so let's read the first 10 verses together as we kind of get this idea of what uh, this message is all about as we are declaring that Jesus is alive in us. Verse 1, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Do not be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said it would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell the other disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And so the women ran quickly from the tomb They were very frightened, pay attention to that, they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message, and as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there." You see, this is such a pivotal moment in this story. Jesus' disciples were were pretty sad when he died on the cross. And not only for the act that had happened, but they honestly kind of thought that everything that they had given their last few years of life to had ended. And what was it for? They didn't understand why Jesus died. They were confused. They were afraid. We even know that many of his followers were were hiding uh, because they were expecting the Romans to really come after them because if they crucified Jesus, they were next. Uh, And so they didn't know what to expect. And so the ladies show up here at this tomb and he's not there but he's alive and they got to meet him in person and got to go share the good news that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, he wants to live in you and me. And so I think there's a couple of things that we can learn about this story. And the first thing I think we can understand and learn about the resurrection is that it causes wonder and joy. So that's the first thing I want you to write down, that the story of the resurrection, it speaks of wonder and 
enjoy. And so we witnessed that from Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. That at first they were kind of frightened and in awe and in wonder, like, what just happened? And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you've been like, Jesus is real. He loves me. He wants to have a relationship with me. I mean, at first it can be kind of frightening and kind of like, really? But then at the same time, it's all of a sudden this joy comes over you as you receive that new life that he wants to put in you. And so this is kind of what was happening here because these women were utterly astonished at what they were witnessing. He wasn't in the tomb. There was the angel there, and they said he's not dead but alive. And so why is that surprising to us? Not surprising to us. Because we've heard this story, right? If you've heard the resurrection story, raise your hand. All right, I think probably everybody, right? It's not a new story. And so sometimes we read this kind of with that old mindset. Yep, heard it, know it, I get it. You can move past that now, Pastor. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want you to miss out on the freshness that the Lord can bring to us through his resurrection. I don't want us to, to lose sight of what he accomplished by coming back to life. And because his resurrection is true, then it should leave you and I utterly astonished, just like these young women were. Like, gosh, man, we need a fresh understanding of what Jesus has done in our life. If we get a fresh understanding, then maybe we'll be excited to live for him again. But some of us are just going through the motions. It's nothing new. He's just there. Sometimes I'll open my Bible. Sometimes I'll read. Sometimes I'll pray to him. So I'll casually kind of approach this relationship with Jesus Christ. But I need you to, I need you to understand, this isn't something that's a small thing. The God of the universe that made everything around us and things that we cannot see, that made your innermost parts, made you. He loves you. And he came so that you can have a relationship with him. And so I want you to get a perspective of this again. Don't forget it. The son of God came down to earth, lived a sinless and perfect life. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament through his life here on earth, through the stories that we read about. He gave his life up. He entered into that punishment for you and for me, and he died on the cross for our sins and came back to life so that we can have relationship with him. It's a price that he paid for us. He entered into our pain and our shame, and he took it upon himself. And so if the resurrection is true, then it's kind of a big deal. It should leave us in awe and wonder. Joy should be a part of our everyday going around lives because it means that everything that Jesus promised to us is true. It didn't die in the grave with him, but it's true because he came back to life. God really does love us, and he really does care for us. And because of that, he's given us a promise that one day there will be no more pain, crying, weeping, and the curses will, will leave this world one day. But, and we can rely on that because we know that he came back, to, came back to life when he was resurrected from the grave. And so that means our stories of pain, suffering, those long seasons of waiting, they're not permanent. Let me try that again. <laughs> 
That means your seasons of pain. That means those long seasons of waiting are not permanent. Yes. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to get excited about this. This is a big deal. It's not permanent. It's not final. That does not have the final word in your life anymore because Jesus rose from the grave. And God's truly working something good out through all those seasons of waiting. We maybe won't understand it right now, but one day it'll make sense. I love what the book of Revelation speaks to because it talks about what to expect one day. And in chapter 21 and verse 1, it says, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is when Jesus comes back a second time to receive us into heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. I know for some people that can sound morbid, like you look forward to death one day, you know, you look forward to to dying. And the truth of that is like, I do, because I know it's on the other side. Because when we die, we're going to one of two places, heaven or hell. That's what scripture teaches. And so I know that I have my salvation that is secured in Jesus Christ. And so I look forward to that day when I get to see Jesus face to face, when I get to be in his presence. And so I'm always excited about that. But until then, man, I want to live a full life. I want to enjoy the life that I have. And not from the standpoint of I want to do all these things that are on my bucket list because it's what I want. But I want, to, I want to live a life that's fulfilled because I'm following Jesus. Because I'm fulfilling the things that he's called me to and not just the things that I want for myself. And so I'm looking forward to, to fulfilling those things that he's called me to. But I wait with hopeful expectation for that day that I get to see him face to face. We should be in awe and wonder and full of joy because of what Jesus did for us through the resurrection. Here's the second thing that I think is crucial in the resurrection. Uh, the accounts of the, re- the resurrection are reliable. They are reliable. They're sound. They're true. You don't have to question whether it was right or wrong. It's right. It's reliable. You can trust it. And I'm going to prove it to you. Uh, maybe you're thinking, asking that question, well, Blake, how are they reliable? Don't just say it is, but, but prove it to me. All right? So that's what I'm going to try to do over the next several minutes here. Uh, because Matthew puts this odd detail into this story of his account of the resurrection, I think it's because of this odd detail that it helps speak something very important here. Matthew tells us that the empty tomb was first discovered by women. Blake, what are you getting at? Is that like a sexist joke? Like, what are you trying to say? I mean, what is that all about? I need you to understand something. Like, this proves something very significant because back there, back then in that day and age, in that culture, uh, women's testimonies were not credible. Uh, They could not be used in a court of law. They were not admissible in court. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. If Matthew wanted his generation to believe his account, then would he or shouldn't he have said that men were the first ones to discover it? 
But he's not trying to make up a story. He's just telling us as it happens. And he's trying to put, there's something, so I think this thing that's put in this story, I think is significant because Otherwise, he would have did something different. He would have made it up and said men were the first ones to discover him. It was me and John, you know, but he didn't say that. And so I think that says something pretty important in his first eyewitness account of what actually was true. Furthermore, we know that all of the disciples that were following Jesus at that time, including Matthew, that we're reading from this book of Matthew, they all died horrific deaths. That's that you and I probably hope to never suffer in. (laughs) And so I think to me, this testifies something from, uh, not only from their own eyes, but from what their actions and how it followed from that day forward. They saw that Jesus had risen from the grave, and so they couldn't help but tell people what they had witnessed and what they had seen. You know, if they were just wanting to, to make up a lie about what happens, I'm guessing they wouldn't have suffered for it. You know, many people tell lies. You maybe tell your wife or your spouse some white lies here and there. You know, we're we're good at lying. We're good at covering up the truth. But if you would build your life around a lie, there better be some benefits to it, right? (laughs) You're not just going to lie for the sake of lying. Like you want to, you want to get something out of the deal, um, so that people will, uh, so that things will be easier for you. I think some people uh, live out a lie because it benefits them financially, uh, because it gives them more power, more authority, maybe more prestige, or a, a place of position inside of a, a company or inside of their family, and and so they orchestrate this lie to position themselves in a, in a better way. But think about the apostles for a minute. What did they have to gain by lying? Throughout the rest of their lives, here's some things that they experienced. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. I believe they were poor. And eventually, they would be executed for believe and preaching that Jesus rose from the grave. They said they couldn't help but tell as many people as they could about what Jesus did for them. This because they'd seen it with their own eyes. They knew it was true. And so why would have they gone through all of that if it were a lie? I love something that a famous French philosopher said many years ago. His name is Blaise Pascal, and he said, I believe witnesses that are willing to have their throats cut. That's kind of a bold statement, but if somebody's willing to die for something, then it's probably something they thought was true. It's probably something that is real, and so it's something worth putting some value and weight on. The disciples of Jesus, though, weren't the only ones to see that he had rose from the grave. It wasn't just them. In fact, the New Testament writings point to hundreds of others who testified of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7 gives this account. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 
Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. You see, the disciples made this testament as this was what they had seen, what their uh, their statement was that Jesus had risen from the grave. But they said, listen, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe us, go ask these 500 other people that saw him, that also witnessed it. They can also testify to Jesus rising from the dead. And so Matthew is pointing out that the resurrection is a historically reliable and verifiable account in the life of Jesus. And so I don't think the, the, the book of Matthew leaves us wondering, did Jesus really rise from the dead? But I think the question that it really poses to you and to me is, what are you going to do about it? How will you respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Will you dismiss it like the Jewish leaders did? Here's what they did in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 13. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping, and they stole his body. You see, for whatever reason, the the Jewish leaders refused to see the truth. They ignored it. But not only on top of that, they fabricated a lie around this whole situation. And so why were they so determined to cover it up? Why did they willingly choose to close their eyes to the evidence that was right there in front of them? You know, here's something that I've learned to be true is that you can always find reasons to disbelieve what it is you want to disbelieve, right? Let me give you an example. I disbelieve in eating mushrooms. It's fungus, y'all. I disbelieve that you should be eating that. But facts don't lie. Evidence doesn't lie. People use mushrooms for some weird reason, I'm just kidding, in their food. And what does it do? It brings flavor. All right, I have to admit, I've eaten mushrooms on accident before. And they were good. It brought flavor to the meal, but I choose to disbelieve in eating them because I don't want to have anything to do with fungus. It's just something in my head. It's like sushi. I will not eat raw fish. I know there's other forms of sushi. All right, I get it. But I disbelieve, this is my my personal take on it, in eating raw raw fish. I do, right? And so you can choose to disbelieve what you want to disbelieve, even though the facts line up with it's safe to eat it, right? And so I think the same thing is happening here with these Jewish leaders. They are in this place of choosing to ignore the evidence that pointed in the opposite direction of where they wanted to go. So many people do this every single day. In their hearts, they know without a shadow of a doubt that there is something special about Jesus. There's something special about his church, but the implications of him being Lord in their life, the implications of them having to confess that there's sin in their life, the implications of saying there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live, and it's not just you be you, 
goes against everything that they want to believe, the direction that they want to go, because that way is much easier. And so the Jewish leaders ignored it. We ignore that on a daily basis. It's, it's something that we refuse to surrender to. And so the question for us is, are we going to dismiss Jesus just like the Jewish leaders did? Or are we going to allow it to move us to this place of awe and wonder and joy as we give our lives over to Jesus Christ? Now, something I think it's important to clarify in this is that if you choose to allow Jesus to be Lord in your life, if you surrender your life to him, sometimes it's an automatic assumption that you never, ever, ever from that point forward have any questions or any doubts about your life and the direction that it's headed and what scripture teaches and what's the right way to live and the wrong way to live. We just kind of assume that if you're a good Christian, then you'll do all of these things and be a good little boy and a good little girl and that God will be proud of you. But here's what I've known to be true about the Lord that I follow. He likes your questioning. But what is it that you're doing with your questions? Is it driving you to him or is it driving you away from him? See, something that I love in this account of Matthew is that he tells us something in verse 17 that I think is so key and important. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus had been risen from the grave. He was standing right there in front of them. Have you ever heard of this man doubting Thomas? He was in the room. And he says, come over here and see my hands where the nails were. Look at my feet. Touch them. He was right in front of them. Some of them were even there whenever Jesus ascended into heaven. He was floating in the air. And some of them are still saying, I'm still doubting. I've still got questions. You know, I look at that and I'm like, really, guys? I mean, come on. He was right there in front of you. You got to touch him. You got to see him. And you still are doubting. You still have questions. There's still things that you don't understand. He's right there. But here's the deal. That brings me a whole lot of comfort. Because I found myself in seasons where I've been doubting. In seasons where I've got questions that I don't have the answers to. And even though... They had Jesus physically in front of them. There were still questions that they were wrestling with. Here's some of the questions that we know of. Some of their questions were, if Jesus really was the Son of God, then why is he leaving us? He hasn't finished what he said he was going to do. Why hadn't he overthrown the Romans? Why hadn't he brought peace on earth? These were some of the questions that they had. You know, for me personally, I too, I too have some tough intellectual questions for the Lord and that I'm constantly asking him and wondering, and I don't know if I'll ever have the answers to them, but these are some of the questions that I personally wrestle with. Why does he answer some prayers for healing and not others? God healed me from cancer, but one of my best friends in South Texas died of cancer. Both of us prayed We had different outcomes. Why? I don't understand it. I don't know if I ever will. 
Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? I look at the world around us, and I'm just like, what is happening? Especially our culture here in the United States, like, man, what is happening? It's not looking good, y'all. And the sad thing is, is that so many people have these questions, and they have some doubts that they're having to wrestle through, but it leads them to this place of ultimately denying the resurrection of Jesus. But I have an important question for those that kind of have that outcome. What if instead of denying the resurrection, what if instead you use the resurrection to diminish your doubts? That's a different approach. What if you say, Jesus, I don't understand how to explain this right now. But here's what I know. You're true. You came back to life. You fulfilled these prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. I see you as being who you said you are. Even though I have questions. And one day maybe I'll understand and be able to answer them. And so what if we just say this? I'm placing my faith and trust in you anyways. Even while I'm wrestling with it, even while I'm going through it, You know, I love this definition of faith. It's when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. Faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. You see, the undeniable truth is that Jesus is alive. And the unexplainable unexplainable are the things that we haven't quite figured out yet. And so by your faith... It makes it possible to keep moving forward even though you have unanswered questions because you believe that the undeniable fact is that Jesus rose from the grave. He was who he says he is. And the other things I have, I can keep wrestling with them, but what I'm choosing to do is to give Jesus time to lead me to those answers, to lead me to those places of peace, even while I'm wrestling through it. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't stay stuck in the questioning and the doubting. It's okay to have some of those, but don't stay over there in this camp for too long. Because when you're camped out there for too long, it, it, it cannot be a good path that you end up going down. But choose to step over here to this side of faith and trust. And while I'm following you, while I'm trusting in you, you're going to help me figure those things out later. Maybe not right now, but later. Because here's doubt will do one of two things in your life. It'll either push you forwards or backwards. If your doubting is leading towards unbelief, then it's pushing you backwards and away from the Lord. But if you're doubting and your questions are are driving you closer in relationship with Jesus, then you're going to be taking steps forward. And I think this asking these questions can be a good thing because I believe it can lead to a closer and more trusting walk with Jesus. And so I want you to understand the accounts of the resurrection are reliable. Matthew ends the book um, in chapter 8, the, the book that he wrote in, a, in kind of a strange way. But he kind of leaves it with these last remarks that Jesus gives to his church. He was giving to them. And so the last point I want to give to you this morning is, is a question. And it's simply this, will you embrace the Great Commission?
That's how Matthew's going to wrap up his gospel writing is with this idea of the Great Commission. Maybe you know what that is. Maybe you don't. I'll read it to you in just a moment. But before Jesus ascends into heaven, before he goes to live with the Lord in heaven until he returns again, Jesus gives his followers and he gives us some instruction on how to live our lives from that point forward. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, anytime you see therefore, what is it there for? All right, so whatever was before it, now you got to pay attention to what's coming next. Because he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. So many people around us have no idea who Jesus is. Maybe they are unchurched now. Maybe at one point they were in the church and maybe they didn't really see what it was all about and they left it. Here's a fact that we know in our culture today, about 60 to 70% of our teenagers are leaving the church and will never return. That's a problem. And so there's young people, people your age and older, that have no idea who Jesus really is. Will you embrace the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples? Will you follow Jesus' instruction and his command to go and tell them the full price that I have paid for their sins? Many of them have no idea that Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave for them. They don't know what to expect next. But Jesus overcame that so that they can have eternal life with him one day. And so I think everyone needs to hear the good news. Would you agree? You know, simply the gospel defined is good news. That's what the stories of Jesus is all about. It's this good news that has been given to humanity that no longer will your sin lead to death and hell, but because of what Jesus came and did, we can now have eternal life with him. When we we take our last breath here, we will be in eternity with Jesus if we will give our lives to him. And so there's people all around you that need to hear this good news. Jesus telling us that we now are charged with this responsibility to take this message out all over the world. I want you to think about this. If this is the great commission that the Lord is giving to us, that means that this generation of Christians are responsible for this generation of souls. We're responsible for the souls that are around us. 
and all throughout the world. Jesus tells us that he will go with us, that he'll give us boldness, he'll give us confidence, that he'll give us the words that we need as we testify and share about the good news of Jesus Christ, but he gives the responsibility to us to go, to start speaking, (laughs) to be bold. And so we've got to take that first step, and he says, I've got you after that. But I want you to understand that we are the only ones that have the message that the people around us need to hear that can save them from their sins. We have the only message that can give them a new life and hope beyond the grave and death. And so what is that message? It goes back to these four simple words, Jesus in my place. Jesus was betrayed by me. Jesus was forsaken for me. He was accused for me. Jesus was punished for me. And now, he wants to be alive in me. And he wants to work through me to a world that is lost and in need of a Savior. And so how could we possibly keep that to ourselves? And so in closing, I want to ask you this question. Maybe, this will, maybe you've heard this question before. Maybe this will seem cliche. Maybe it'll be the first time you've heard it. But if you had the cure to cancer, would you keep it to yourself? What would you do if you had the cure to cancer? I want you to understand that what you and I have through the gospel message is way better than any cure to cancer could be. A cure to cancer is temporary. But eventually, your life is going to lead to this place of death. It's one thing that all of us are promised is that one day, we will take our last breath and it'll be over here on this earth. And so the message that you and I have to share is way better than any cure from disease. But it's the message of hope after this life. It's a message that we can live in relationship with Jesus in heaven one day. And so I want to ask you this question. How are you going to respond to Jesus? He was betrayed for you, forsaken for you, accused, punished, and he was resurrected for you. And so will you receive him today? Will you commit your life to him? Will you commit to going and making disciples and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Trust Him and give Him your life. Jesus didn't just die for you, but He died instead of you. So you and I now have a choice. What are you going to do about it? Will you receive it or will you reject it? This is how Jesus is revealing himself to us as the Savior of the world. So here's the main thing that I want you to walk away with this morning. And it's that Jesus' resurrection gives us purpose today. And it gives us a hope for tomorrow. And because of that good news, I think there's some lifestyle changes that need to happen in our everyday running around lives, church. And it has to begin in our thought life, in our heads, to know 
that the great know to know the great commission and the purpose that God has given to us and to share the hope of Jesus. It's got to be something that we think about every single day that my main purpose in this life is to make disciples. Is that true for you? I think it can be something hard sometimes because of this life, because of the goals that we have, the the distractions that are all around us, but your main goal and purpose is to share the good news of Jesus Christ and it's to make disciples. That's your number one goal and purpose. And so you got to know it. Then it's got to get down into your heart to, to feel confident in our hope and in our calling from Jesus. Then it's got to do this thing where it, it pushes us to changing the way that we live. There's got to be a life change to reject the fear that we have in addressing our doubts and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? As you're standing to your feet, I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to be reminded today of what Jesus has done for you. If you're here, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to hear today that he gave his life for you. He was resurrected for you. And so today's the day to surrender your life to him. If you're here and you would classify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to get a fresh perspective on what it was is that Jesus has done for you. It's significant. It's life-changing. And so I want to charge you as Jesus charged his disciples and charged us to go out and start living a life of purpose and meaning for the kingdom of God. To make a choice today that I'm not just going to go through the motions, I'm not just going to allow the distractions of life to come in and to get me off of course, but I'm going to remember what my main purpose is in this life. And so I am choosing today to go and make disciples, to share my testimony, to share my story, to share the good news, because the souls around me, I am responsible for in this generation. And I want you to receive that call. I know it's big. I know it can even be overwhelming. But here's the beautiful thing. You're not in it alone. So maybe today you don't have the confidence to do it, but someone around you does. And so what if you start doing it together? What if that's how it begins? We have each other. It's a beautiful gift. So I want us to receive that call and to live on purpose. And so I want you to ask this question this morning and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying to me? Thanks for tuning in. If what you heard today was inspirational or transformative, tell us about it. We love your feedback. For more information on how you can get connected, check us out at firmfoundation.church.